0: Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Singapore, from the White Collar Government Litigation Investigations Group at Sidley is Shuman Ho, who's a partner there, and Sam Johnson, who's Senior Managing Associate. Uh, First, Shuman, Sam, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today.
1: Thank you, Adam. Very happy to be here.
0: Likewise, thanks, Adam. Uh, Very happy to have you both. So we're gonna be talking today about third parties and ESG risk and the overlap with compliance programs. Schumann, why don't we start with you? When evaluating a third party for ESG risk, what are some of the key ESG focus areas that organizations need to be looking at in their suppliers?
1: I think for anyone to really uh, tackle ESG as a topic, you actually must start by uh, defining exactly what you're look at, looking at. So. I mean, if you look at ESG and what it stands for, environmental social governance, um, that could actually cover anything under the sun. So there are a few different ways to cut it, but to boil down to it, you're basically trying to identify um, areas, any areas, in fact, in the supply chain that can harm your business. Uh, In areas that go beyond just looking at the numbers in the financial statements, or, you know, just looking at what the I guess requirements are in the traditional legal framework. So a good way to do this is basically go by the industry uh, that that the business is in. So we do a lot of work for life sciences companies, for example. So I'll I'll take that as a start. Uh, I think as many of you know, it's a highly, highly regulated industry. Under the ESG lens, however, the focus shifts a little bit away from areas such as compliance or anti-bribery or product safety, and that's not to say that that's not important. Um, but 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 the ESG, I would say, uh, framework does require you to also be looking at. Things such as how to manage toxic waste or medical waste uh, or single-use plastics that come from packaging or some of the medical devices themselves use plastic. Um, Also, you have to consider ethical and social issues. Uh, For example, is it right to use patent law to prevent low-cost medication or to prevent uh, generic drugs from entering into the market? Um, Taking the tech industry as another example, there is obviously a heavy reliance on hardware and electronics uh, and that's a live topic right now because people are looking at you know whether the workforce comes from areas that perhaps don't have high labor standards or the the same protection on worker welfare that you would expect uh, or whether the raw materials or the minerals used come from conflict or war zones so to help i think companies identify which ESG areas to focus on, we typically recommend asking a few key questions. So for example, uh, you could ask, do you have visibility over, or how well uh, do you have visibility over your supply chain? How many, do you know how many suppliers you have? Do you know what they do? And if not, how do you get more information? And that links to the question of who is actually overseeing or managing the supply chain because often it is not legal or compliance, although these are the people tasked with perhaps implementing the ESG framework. Uh, But you need to speak with people like procurement, logistics, operations, think about how to get their buy-in, because speaking to them, uh, and they are a very key stakeholder in the process, uh, speaking to them will help you uncover issues that you need to focus on. Lastly, I think for specific suppliers, it is definitely worth thinking about checking how well you understand their business model and how they make money so for example is something too cheap Uh, because that may suggest that they are using very cheap labor or or, um, if you're putting them under a lot of pressure to turn things around very quickly you know are you creating an unsustainable perhaps unsustainable product uh, cycle where you're forcing them to either outsource to other entities that you may not know about or to put pressure on the workforce to work long hours uh, or, or to use perhaps uh, migrant workers or unskilled workers to just help meet those deadlines. So a couple of suggestions there.
0: No, I think that's very good. And you know, one of the things we know from social science is that people under a lot of pressure don't make very good decisions. You really are opening the door for a lot of problems. now. As you're describing this, uh, I keep going back to something I see a lot, which is although the issues are different uh, in ESG, it seems to me that there would be many similarities with the anti-corruption due diligence that companies have done for some time now. Sam, is that fair or is this fundamentally different?
2: Yeah, Adam, I think on one level you are talking about you know, a form of DD, uh, checks uh you know monitoring that is done to mitigate risks for a company Uh, however i do think there are some fundamental differences between the processes and the objectives of uh, esg third-party due diligence versus as you say the more sort of long-standing anti-corruption due diligence that companies have been conducting on counterparties uh on one level i i think a key difference is the the scope of that due diligence uh when it comes to supply chain due diligence from an anti corruption perspective you know often or some companies will tend to stop at the first downstream supplier uh they're for, because from an abc an anti bribery corruption perspective anything further down that chain sub sub uh, sub suppliers um, other downstream suppliers to that supplier the the conduct of those individuals and those entities is less likely to draw liability to you the company conducting due diligence Um, however from an esg perspective supply chain mapping usually requires a, a total understanding of the supply chain and the potential liability and recent, some of the legislation that has been introduced requiring companies to conduct supply chain due due diligence does require that full mapping exercise to take place. Uh, I think another key difference is something that Schumann alluded to is, is that, you know, there is a very, it is a very sort of broad topic ESG. And whereas I think form other forms of legal due diligence such as um, anti-corruption due diligence have touched upon some of these concerns uh, and issues, what ESG due diligence driven by industry standards that have been introduced as well as various ESG due diligence related legislation uh, has broadened I think the scope of what, has been, what is to be looked into at least for two of the the, the areas of ESG. So for environmental due diligence, I think, as as human mentioned, whereas traditional due diligence is focused on, say, more physical evidence of environmental harm, uh, there is a new growing wave of requirement to look into long-term environmental sustainability of a company. How does the company manage its emissions? How does it manage its water waste management? Uh, and, and in a supply chain where a, where a supplier is representing that products or components that it makes are "quote unquote" sustainable, you know, how do you verify those claims? Uh, from a social perspective, uh, there, there, I think this is where the pub there has been a more public awareness of the need to conduct supply chain due diligence, particularly in respect of human rights violations. Uh, and concerns regarding working conditions, which are not linked to levels of pay. And this has been driven by a wave of modern slavery legislation. Uh, and to be honest, I think this is the area which has, you know, can perhaps have the most drastic consequences for a company. Uh, a, a one recent white paper published by a prominent financial intelligence provider estimated that severe ESG incidents such as the discovery of modern supply, uh, sorry, modern slavery issues in the supply chain can reduce a company's market value by up to seven and a half percent over 12 months. So, you know, quite apart from any legislative or regulatory consequences, you know, there is a real impact on the bottom line. And I think modern slavery issues in the supply chain are at the heart of that, that, those concerns. Uh, Governance, I think probably in our experience is the area of ESG due diligence, which is probably caused the least amount of change to existing DD, Um, you know, notwithstanding that broader questions of corporate governance are becoming increasingly important. I think this is because the concerns about corporate governance are are to some extent largely addressed or covered or overlap with more traditional areas of due diligence, such as how a company is structured, how it exercises oversight over its various functions, how do how, how are anti-bribery issues addressed in its uh, compliance framework from a policy and process perspective, uh, and also things like the ability to you know, freely enable concerns to be es- escalated through a company through internal whistleblowing channels. So, I-, I think the rise of ESG due diligence has, I think, built upon some of the processes of, of other forms of due diligence, such as anti-corruption, but perhaps not as radical a departure as, um, you know, one might think.
0: Well, I want to come back to the due diligence aspect in a moment there. Um, But as an organization is going through all these investigations, I think it's good to stop for a second and ask, what are some of the red flags that they should be looking for?
1: Yep, I'll take that question. Um, so the good news, I guess, here is that the as Sam said, the ESG processes uh, are not that different from traditional diligence, and that basically means that checks can be built into the existing uh, risk management, management framework. Uh, so the task is a bit less daunting, and and similarly, the the exercise of identifying red flags will come as no surprise. So what you're looking to do is to assess how reliable, uh, how trustworthy and, and transparent and perhaps reputable your business partner and your supplier is. So some factors are actually quite straightforward. Uh, so I won't go through them in detail, but you're basically looking out for where the supplier's operations are, whether there are known issues, uh, you'll know, be doing your usual bad press or negative publicity checks, uh, or, or see if there are any criticisms or, 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 or issues flagged on channels such as social media. So where I think uh, is perhaps a little bit new does link back to what I just discussed about trying to understand your supplier's business model Uh, and and asking the right questions is an important part of that process. So in your ESG questionnaire, or when you're doing the risk assessment, I think you need to be prepared to drill down into the specifics and call out answers that are either incomplete or too vague or, or just unconvincing. Uh, and for example, if you're assessing how products get to market, um, you do need to know firstly where the, the, the materials are being sourced from, you need to know where the labour is being sourced from, uh, you you need to know or at least have a rough understanding of I think the profit margin. Uh, and, and, and again, that goes back to the point about how, how, how understanding how your supplier makes money and whether something is too cheap. Uh, and I think these are the areas that tend to be missed uh, because they are not traditional red flags uh, that, that 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 businesses are accustomed to while doing due diligence. Uh, so there's no real science to it. I think it's just really getting a good and holistic grasp of, of your supplier and the business model. And that will help you identify things that don't seem quite right or things that uh, you may need to ask more questions about.
0: Well, I think there's a lot of wisdom there because, you know, the risk of the supplier a lot comes out of their own business model. And rather than just looking at sort of the traditional factors, you know, if you go back to look at what are they incented to do, just like you look at your own workforce, um, you're much more likely to be able to identify some things. So finally... One of the challenges of ESG is that you can do the best due diligence in the world um, at any point in time, but because ESG is relatively new, it's fast evolving, expectations keep changing. Um, What are some issues that are likely to come up in the future that companies should be thinking about today, Sam?
2: Thanks, Adam. I think the main issue that companies should be aware of is the increased legislative intervention and regulation in this space, which is being accompanied by potential enforcement for poor practices. A key area, one of the key areas for this is uh, increased scrutiny of forced labor. We've seen laws in the US and potentially a law in the EU uh, that will ban the import of goods uh, where forced labor has been involved anywhere in that supply chain. Uh, that. One of the sort of the trickle down effects from that or the waterfall effects from that is, is increased scrutiny on how companies conduct due diligence in on their supply chains to identify and address these issues. Uh, there have been laws enacted in countries such as the UK through its Modern Slavery Act, Holland through the Dutch Child Labour Due Diligence Act and Germany through its supply chain duty of care act, which uh, which compel company, companies to disclose and in more recent times address supply chain concerns. However, there is a more ambitious project underway in the EU in the form of the draft EU Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive. Uh, Briefly, the obligations that would be intended to impose imposed by this directive, which would apply to both EU companies and non-EU companies with a sufficiently high turnover within the EU are very broad and essentially require them to conduct human rights and environmental due diligence across its entire business and establish supply chains. Uh, that would re- there are concrete steps required to be taken under this directive: uh, maintaining a separate due diligence policy, ensuring there is a complaints process enabling individuals and organisations to escalate concerns arising from supply chain practice issues. And uh, non compliance with this directive can attract sanctions such as injunctive relief and damages. So, so really companies should be keeping an eye on their just sort of de- developments in this area, wherever they are situated in the world. Because it's very likely that these companies will have some form of business in places like the EU that may meet the threshold for jurisdiction and and start that thinking now whether their compliance frameworks should be enhanced. One of the things
0: that I think we've all learned through the years is that the floor of expectations keeps rising, and if we tend to just look at where we are, we're quickly going to fall behind. Well, Schumann, Sam, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us today. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletow from SCCE and HTCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.